Hello again. Could it be that Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible? Uh, if you ask a Christian, if you ask someone in this room after uh, this evening, what's your favorite verse, what's your favorite chapter that's in the Bible, what's the, the memory verse that encourages you as a Christian, what keeps you going in your faith? If you ask a Christian that question, chances are they will say something from Romans chapter 8. Uh, yes, they might say John 3.16. Yes, they might say an obscure verse in the Old Testament if they're an obscure kind of person. But just listen, just listen to some of these famous and cherished words that all come from Romans chapter 8. Listen to how many of these go-to memory verses are in this chapter. So Romans 8, these are the things that Paul says. He says, There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says, We have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He says, All things work for the good of those who love God. He says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He says, God didn't spare his own son, but offered him up for us. He says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of those famous and deeply encouraging words come from Romans chapter 8. It is the greatest, perhaps, chapter in the Bible. I'll let you decide if you think that's true or not. Uh, But there's actually another famous verse in Romans 8 that I didn't just mention, but we did just read. And it's in our passage today, the very first verse. So look down at verse 18 with me. Romans 8, verse 18. Do you know these words? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. See, no wonder this is another one of those famous memory verse kind of verses Uh, But I wonder, what's your gut response to that verse? How does it make you feel? What's your first reaction to a statement like that? Your first reaction might be, I don't really know what that's saying. Uh, And that's okay, that's what we're here to do. We're here to understand what it says and and learn what it means, so stay tuned. Uh, But my hope is that for many of us, the first response is, Amen, Paul. Our present suffering and this life is not all there is. We have a glorious future, a life to come to look forward to, eternal life with our Lord Jesus, full of joy and peace and freedom. I can't wait for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. But I wonder if maybe for some of us, or maybe just a part of us, when we read a verse like that, our first reaction is, how can you say that, Paul? Or even, how dare you say that, Paul, because my suffering, it overwhelms me consumes me are you really saying paul my suffering is insignificant maybe you feel like paul trivializes your struggles well the goal of today is to dig into this passage see what it says let's pray for god's help heavenly father we know your word is good so please help us to hear it and receive it with thanks and please let it do the work that you want it to do in our hearts and minds and lives In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So come with me now. Please have your Bible open and your outline there. It's worth saying uh, that you can't be a casual reader of the book of Romans. You must work hard. You only get the treasure if you dig. You've got to sweat. It's a hot day. 
We're going to sweat looking at God's Word together. Uh, So look at your outline there. The first thing we're going to do is spend a lot of time in verse 18. Verse 18 is kind of like the heading or the summary of the rest of the passage. So what we're going to do is spend a lot of time just on verse 18, and then we'll look at the rest of the verses more quickly. Okay? So let's read it again. Romans 8, verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about a few big things. He's comparing two things. Actually, he says you shouldn't compare them. Um, But he holds up these two things that we shouldn't compare, two things for us to think about and consider. What are they? Look at the verse again. Number one, the sufferings of this present time. That's number one. And number two, the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So he holds these two things up for us to think about, suffering and glory. Now, why is he talking about these things? Why talk about suffering and glory? It's because of what he's been trying to show us in these recent chapters of Romans. So look back to last week's verses, uh, verses 16 and 17. It's the end of our passage from last time. What did we see there? Verse 16, we saw the wonder, the wonder that if we have the Spirit of God, if we are Christians, if we've turned to Jesus then we are God's children. We have this incredible privilege of being able to call God our Father. And verse 17, that makes us heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. Because we're God's God's sons or children, because Jesus is our brother, we have an inheritance on the way. We have the guarantee of eternal life when Jesus returns and makes all things new. But... Then he adds a little bit on the end of that verse. Did you see it? Verse 17, we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Seeing that, or provided that, we suffer with him, Jesus, so that we may also be glorified with him. What's that about? It's simply saying that if you are united with Jesus, the one who suffered, you will suffer too, just as he did. You you will have to press on through that suffering, press on in faith, in perseverance, and if you do that, well, you won't just suffer like him, you will be glorified like him on the last day. And so the path to eternal glory, this is our faith, the path to eternal glory on the last day is persevering in faith even through the suffering of this life and the suffering we face as Christians. Suffering now, glory later. So verse 17, that's the first mention of suffering glory. Verse 18, he just keeps expanding on it. That's why he's talking about suffering and glory. You see, this is what Paul's been trying to show us recently in Romans. He's explaining the tension of the Christian life. This is what chapters 7 and 8 are about. They're about the now versus the not yet. They're about the fact that, yes, we've been saved Now, we have read about so many blessings of salvation that we have now in Christ. Peace with God, justification, reconciliation, redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit in us. We have these incredible blessings now. But there are blessings of salvation that are not yet. They're to come. So think back a few weeks ago to chapter 7 which showed us, yes, we are free from slavery to sin. Yes, we are free from the condemnation of God's law. But there's still a war within us. 
We still struggle with sin. Paul says, what a wretched man I am and we're wretched too. We do the sin that we don't want to do and we don't do the good that we do want to do. God will save us from these bodies of death, but not yet. Not until the Lord returns. Or think back to the last passage we looked at in chapter 8. We have the Holy Spirit. A great transformation took place when the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in you, but the body is dead because of sin. And the day when God brings our bodies, our mortal bodies to life, it lies in the future. Present suffering and struggle with sin, and then future glory. That's what Paul's trying to us trying to get us to get that tension between what we have now and what we don't yet have so that takes us back to verse 18 so paul he holds up these two things suffering and glory but what does he actually say about them what are they we'll look closely again at that verse verse 18 what are the sufferings he's talking about paul says they are the sufferings of this present time and then the only other time that he talks about is the time of glory, eternity, when Jesus returns. And so the sufferings of this present time are, well, any and all suffering that we face in this life as we live in this fallen age and in this fallen world, uh, but they're sufferings we face as Christians as well. It's the suffering we've experienced since Genesis 3. And in the next few verses, Paul says, yeah, we see this in creation. The creation is subject to decay and corruption and futility We live sin-cursed lives in a sin-cursed world. So that's the suffering in verse 18, but what's the glory? Verse 18 says it's the glory that's going to be revealed. It's future glory, as we've seen. It's the glory of when Jesus returns. And there are many things that will be glorious about that day, won't there? But does he have something in particular in mind? I think he does. What is this glory that will be revealed? Look at a few verses with me. Look at verse 19. The creation eagerly waits with anticipation for what? For God's sons to be revealed. God's children will be made clear on the day when Jesus returns. Or look at verse 21. The creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption and into the glorious freedom of God's children god's people we god's people will experience freedom now what are those things hinting at i think the answer is in verse 23 look at verse 23 paul's been talking about the tension of the christian life and then we see the time when there will be no more tension partway through verse 23 paul says we also groan within ourselves that's christians we groan eagerly waiting for what adoption the redemption of our bodies. That's the glory that's going to be revealed to us. We're waiting for the fullness of our adoption, which is bodies that have been glorified, like Jesus' body that was glorified when he rose from the dead. That's when he was, that, that's when he was glorified. That's what we saw in verse 17. If we suffer with him, we will be glorified like him, with him. That's the glorious freedom of God's children. Freedom from dying, sin-stained bodies. That's how God's sons will be revealed and made clear. It'll be obvious. We'll have new eternal bodies. Now that's the hope that we have as Christians. Look at verse 24. 
Paul says, now in this hope, we were saved. So we were saved when we first put our trust in Jesus. We were uh, justified by faith when we believed God's promises. We were declared to be righteous. But we don't yet have all the blessings of salvation. We were saved for a future hope, for a future glory. God will rescue us from these dead and sin-stained bodies that are prone to wandering and temptation, and he will give us glorious bodies like the Lord Jesus, free from suffering and decay, free from sin. Okay, back to verse 18 yet again. I said we'd spend some time on verse 18. Paul says in verse 17, yes, we will suffer with Jesus just as he did. But then verse 18, that suffering, that suffering is nothing, nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us, he says, to the glory of being raised like Jesus. He says there isn't even a comparison that you can make between the two our present suffering and our future glory, they are so far from one another, you can't draw a line between them. Why is that? It's because that future glory is the last piece in the puzzle of our salvation. God has done so much for us to save us and make us his children, but there's one thing left to do, to do away with our body of sin and death and to clothe us with a new body free from sin and pain and anything that the curse of sin has brought. See, it might be hard to imagine or to grasp, but our suffering, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much of it there is, Paul says our suffering is not worth comparing to our future glory, the hope, the the, the glory that God has in store for us who accept his Son. The glory of that day is beyond what we could possibly imagine. The day when Jesus returns and we are made like him, we can't even begin to fathom how glorious that is. So praise God for that joy and and rejoice in the wonder and the glory of that day because it will make all our suffering pale into comparison. Do you believe that? Well, that's a great encouragement. I hope you find it a great encouragement. That's the point of those words, I think. But what do we do in the meantime? We're in the present suffering now. We're not at the future glory yet. As Christians, what do we do until the day of glory and resurrection and life? That's what the rest of the passage is about. Now, we spent a lot of time on verse 18. I said we were going to do that. It's the key verse. So now we're going to spend not as long on the rest of the verses. So just a heads up on that. We'll just draw out a few things from the remaining verses. So what, is, what do we do in the meantime as we wait for this day of glory. There's a few things we do in the meantime. The first one is we groan. In verse 19 and 20 and 21, Paul talks about all creation groaning out of futility and corruption. That's what we see in the world, isn't it? The creation is under the curse of sin since Genesis 3, and so the weather and the oceans and the land, they fall into chaos and turmoil. We have destructive storms, raging winds, We have these terrible events that happen across the world. These are like labor pains before Jesus returns, Paul says. Before he returns and renews and restores creation and brings a new creation fit for eternity, even creation groans for that day, longing for the glory to come. But closer to home for us, look at verse 23. 
We see there, Paul says that we as Christians groan within ourselves. You're meant to groan if you're a Christian. You're meant to be somewhat discontent in this life. Earlier in the year, I preached a sermon on the sin of grumbling and whinging. That's a sin, right? But there is such thing as godly grumbling. Or better put, godly groaning. Because this groaning that it's talking about here, it isn't out of spite. It isn't raging against God because he's been unfair to me. No, instead, it's more that spirit of yearning. It's more that longing for the suffering to end and the future glory to come. It's leaning on God in trust. And that makes sense, right? When you, when you go through pain and you know the end is coming, you know there's a, there's a time and a date when something's going to stop, well, then you groan, you yearn for that day. This here is groaning towards God, trusting in him that he might fulfill his word. So look at how Paul puts it in verse 23. He says, and not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, so this is the Holy Spirit working in us, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Don't you just love how Paul puts it there? He says, the Spirit is the first fruits of the harvest. And so the redemption of our bodies, eternal life, is the harvest. The fact that we have the Spirit living in us now, it means that the glory to come is guaranteed, assured. Our hope and confidence as Christians is that God will finish the job. He will raise us on the last day because He's given us His Spirit now, the first fruits. But we groan as we wait because now we suffer and we struggle with sin and we long for that freedom and for redeemed, renewed bodies. You see, this passage, it doesn't belittle our suffering. It doesn't make our struggles insignificant. It actually validates them. Our present suffering makes us groan, makes us long for that future glory. But the encouragement is that that glory is incomparable. Our suffering makes us yearn and long all the more for Jesus to return. And so we lean on God even more through our struggle as we look forward. Do you groan? Do you yearn for the glory to come? Or are you someone who instead grumbles against God? Or is it just so far from your mind as, you're fixed on, as you're, uh, you have your mind set on the things of this world that you don't even think about the glory to come? Paul here, he turns our eyes and our hearts to the future hope and glory that is promised to us in Jesus. And that will produce godly groaning in us. Well, that leads us to the second thing we do. We eagerly wait. Did you notice Paul say that a few times? Uh, look at verse 23 again. Halfway through, he says, We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Or look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not yet see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Same words, both times. Eagerly waiting. See, when you're a bit sick, this is what it's not talking about. Right? What is this not talking about? Just imagine you're a little bit sick. What do you do? You go to the doctor and you sit in the waiting room. And you know, you, you're a bit sick. You need a script for antibiotics or something like that. And you're in the waiting room and the kind of stale smell, smell of a waiting room air is not very nice. You kind of sit there staring into space or you just sit there staring into your phone uh, and you're bored and you're tired and you're hungry and you're fidgety and it feels pointless. That's not eagerly waiting, is it? 
No, this this what this is talking about. It's more like kids on Christmas Eve who can't stop talking about the presents. Or it's like being apart from your family and just longing to be back with them and to wrap your arms around them again. You, you're focused on that thing that you are waiting for, eagerly waiting for it. See, our hope as Christians is eternal life with bodies free of sin and death and sickness. How can we not eagerly wait for that glory? Looking forward with longing. Are you eagerly waiting for the glory to come when Jesus returns? Did you notice Paul also said we eagerly wait with patience? It takes time. And this sense of uh, waiting here, what it actually means is endurance and perseverance. It's not giving up when it feels like it's taking a long time. Have you ever uh, lined up to get some takeaway lunch or something like that? And uh, you're standing in line and the line is just so long. And you're hungry and the line is really long. And the service, you know, the staff, they're just moving really slowly and you're getting impatient. And so what do you do? You just give up and walk away. I'd just rather go hungry than wait in this silly line. Maybe we've all done that. Maybe you're more patient than me. (laughs) But imagine just for a moment, imagine that it's your favorite takeaway place. You know, imagine that if it's a fresh, juicy Aljana's meal that you're in line for, that you're waiting and longing for. You're willing to wait for that, aren't you? You'll even persevere if the line is long and the service is slow because you just want to taste that chicken or you just want to taste the garlic sauce or the pickles. I love the pickles. See, as Christians, we eagerly wait with patient endurance because what we hope for is worth waiting for. See, we don't give up on Jesus. We don't walk away. We don't throw our faith in because being raised with Jesus, that is a glorious future worth waiting for. Will you persevere as you wait for that day of glory? But the great wonder of this passage, the last thing it leaves us with, is that though we suffer and groan, we do so not alone. We do it with help and with comfort. It's in verse 26. This is just one of those incredible, hard-to-get-your-head-around verses of the Bible, but it's wonderful. Look at verse 26 with me. In the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also joins to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. See, creation groans, we groan, but also the Holy Spirit in us groans. This is hard to wrap our heads around, but what it's saying is this. saying when we are struggling and when we are weak, when we don't even know what to pray for, when we're suffering or caught in sin that is so deep, then the Holy Spirit in us groans and prays on our behalf to God the Father. It's a bit out there. But that idea is just meant to fill us with comfort. That even in our deepest struggles, God is for us, God is with us, God is in us, and the Spirit in us prays both on our behalf for the things that we need, but at the same time perfectly aligned with the will of God because He is God. And so he intercedes between us and God. There is no tension at that point between us and God. What a wonderful mystery. Do you draw comfort from that? I pray we all do. Because actually, that's what the whole passage is all about. 
our comfort, our encouragement as God's precious people. See, it's meant to assure us that our struggle in this life is normal and that God has given us a great hope and his spirit in us to help us to reach that future glory. It's this hope and assurance that that makes us eagerly wait and persevere in faith. So do you groan? Do you eagerly wait? Are Are you waiting with that perseverance for the glory to come? And do you, like Paul, do you consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing to that glory? See, no wonder Romans 8 is a favorite for so many of us. I want to finish with that, with that verse 18 again. And I want to, what I want us to do is, as we read it, to take on the words for ourselves. Let these words not just be what Paul considers, but what we consider to be true. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Amen.